Let's turn back over to Exodus chapter 33. And for those of you that were not here last night, I started sharing out of Exodus chapter 33 and I read verses 11 through 13. Let me just drop down to verse 13 and read this again. This is Exodus chapter 33, verse 13. And this is Moses speaking. He said, now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. And I focused on that. And last night I spent a lot of time talking about knowing God, having intimate, personal relationship with God is what it's all about. And there are so few Christians that really know God in an intimate way to where they really just enjoy the presence of God and God is their best friend. Most Christians, it's all about, they got born again so that they wouldn't go to hell. And then once they get saved, they're just trying to remain saved and stay with the Lord enough so that then they sing songs about when we all get to heaven, what a day that's going to be. And they look forward to eternity. But right now, the average Christian goes through the day discouraged, depressed, fearful, stressed out over things. And none of those things are normal. You know, if God Almighty never leaves us nor forsakes us, if he's always with you, then why in the world would you ever be stressed out or bothered over anything? I'm just constantly amazed. I remember I was headed to Charlotte when the September the 11th tax happened and we couldn't fly. We had to drive. And I remember Christians were just panicking. They were afraid to fly on airplanes ever again. They were wondering what was going to happen. And I tell you, there, there's no reason for that. Perfect love cast out fear is what it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. And I saw Christians just as fearful as unbelievers. I remember when the Y2K thing happened, if any of you were serving the Lord back in those days. But Y2K, it was going to be the end of the world as we knew it. And Christians, matter of fact, I know a group here in Chicago that was selling a year's worth of food and guns so that you could protect and kill people in the name of the Lord that were going to come and get your food. Some of you might remember that. And did you know that the unbelievers didn't buy into this, but Christians bought into it and Christians panicked and Christians were buying food and Christians were doing all of this weird stuff because they don't know God. I went on the record and I went on television and I said, this is not true. I said, this is not going to happen. And on January the 3rd of 2000, I said, if you're seeing this program, now you know that Y2K was a hoax. (laughs) And yet Christians bought into that and were motivated by fear. And you know why I didn't buy into that? Two years before, I had a guy right here in Chicago start telling me all of the terrible things and this was going to be the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period. And you know why I rejected that? There's some things that, you know, it doesn't spell out in the Bible. It doesn't say Y2K is a hoax. It doesn't say that the computers will not all reset it, uh, you know, January the 1st, 2000. How do you know that that wasn't right? Because the scripture says that you are not to be motivated by fear and everything that people were saying, it was all fear based. Even if there was a calamity coming, God wouldn't motivate his people by fear and all of this stuff. And it was because I knew God. And as I fellowshiped with God, I felt none of the panic 
I felt none of the stuff that people were saying. And so based on my relationship with God, I began to tell people this isn't the Lord. Quiet, Miss Presbyterian Church. (laughs) And I'm not against anybody, but I am trying to use these things to illustrate that brothers and sisters, there's a lot of things that go on in our life that happen because we don't know God. Let me just make some really broad statements here. I hadn't got time to completely verify all of this, but I can promise you if you're depressed and discouraged, you do not have a good relationship with God. Amen. Some of you don't like that. Oh, that's not true. You don't understand. I got a chemical imbalance or whatever. It's not true. It's like I saw a government study. I read this on an airplane and they did a 10 year, I forgot how many, $300 million study. And at the end of three years or 10 years or whatever the thing was, the conclusion was people who smile are happier than people who frown. (laughs) And therefore smile more and you'll be happy. Just nearly tore that magazine in two. Like, how dumb can you get and still breathe? It's not smiling that makes you happy, it's being happy that makes you smile. Smile is a byproduct of being happy. And yet, only the government could spend $300 million researching this and think that if you'll smile more, it'd make you happy. No, smiling is a result of being happy. Chemical imbalance is a result of depression. It doesn't cause your depression. You know what causes depression? The Bible says very clearly, Isaiah chapter 26, verse three, the Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusts in him. If you aren't in perfect peace, it's because your mind isn't stayed on God. You are allowing this world to encroach on the time that you should be having with the Lord. And in case you hadn't noticed, this world is full of doubt and unbelief and there's bad things happening. I actually saw a bumper sticker that says, if you aren't disturbed, you aren't paying attention. And you know, in the natural, that's true. If all you're doing is looking in the natural, you should be disturbed. I mean, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. It's getting worse and worse and worse. But if you keep your mind stayed upon the Lord, you'll be in perfect peace. If you're depressed and discouraged, I can guarantee you, you are not thinking about what God has done for you. You are thinking about all of the things that are wrong in your life. And there's plenty of things wrong in your life. You know, right now I've got hundreds of people that hate me and have written blogs about me. And I've got, if I wanted to, I could be as depressed as any person in here. It just depends on what you want to do. If I wanted to focus on everything I've done wrong and everything that should be working, that isn't working and all of the response of people, I could be as depressed as any person in here. But I just choose to think on the fact that God loves me and I focus on that. And I minister to myself and I'm telling you that if you know God, depression has no part in your life. There's a lot of you still don't believe that. There's a lot of you just think, well, two days a month, I just kind of lose it. And you've accepted that that's normal. There is no excuse for you acting like the devil two days out of the month. Anyway, I'm not going to go there. I just was mentioning that. Amen. But you know what? It, 
if we knew God, if you were in the presence of the Lord, it just really doesn't matter. You know, I got drafted right after I had this encounter with the Lord in 1968. And I was caught up into the presence of the Lord and I just fell in love with God. And for four and a half months, I didn't consciously eat or sleep. I know I did both, but I mean, I never sat down to a meal. I never went to sleep more than an hour at a time. I couldn't because God loved me. I was so excited. I could, how could you sleep or eat? Some of you may not relate to what I'm saying, but I just fell in love with God. And immediately I got drafted and I got sent to Vietnam. And you know what? In Vietnam, I had... I had some discouragement and things because I loved God so much and the immediate effect of that relationship wore off. I didn't have the emotional feeling anymore and I just decided that, man, I I just wanted to go to heaven. I didn't want to live without that. And so I spent 13 months asking God to kill me so I could just go to be with the Lord. And then I nearly got killed twice in one day and decided I wasn't really as excited about that as I thought I was. I just started reading the Bible. And anyway, it's a long story. But one, one of the points I was trying to make was that I read this book. I was here in Chicago and a man in Chicago came to one of my meetings and gave me a book that had 12 testimonies of people who had been through Vietnam. And this was 20 years after I got out of Vietnam. And I never read a book about Vietnam. I never had any interest in it. Um, and so I had never thought about any of this, but this guy had his testimony in there as one of 12 testimonies. He gave it to me, autographed the book. And I knew he was going to ask me the next night if I'd read this book. So I thought I'd read his testimony. So I read his testimony and it was really, really good. So I thought I'd read another one and I read it and it was really, really good. And I wound up staying up all night long reading that book. And one of the things that happened, there was three people in that book who were there at the exact same time. Two of them were in my same division that I was in and they were talking about things that happened while I was there. And one of them, I can't verify that this happened because he didn't give the exact details, but he described being on an LZ, a landing zone, a little remote outpost that they put out on the top of a hill when it was overrun. And I think I was there at that time that he was writing about. If not, it was identical to it. I was a chaplain's assistant and I went out with the chaplain and this one uh, LZ was about to be overrun. They knew that probably every person was going to die. And they sent the chaplain out there to kind of give like last rites. It was a Protestant chaplain, but nonetheless, it was out there to minister to the guys right before things got bad. And so I went out with the chaplain and we held a service and we were in an area. the, The top of this hill was smaller than this auditorium. And we took 175 mortar hits within the four hours that I was there inside of that perimeter. It was heavy fire. You could see the muzzle fire from the weapons as the Vietnamese came up the hill. And I was there and I had my M16 pointed down the hill. I never fired it because they were so far away. It wouldn't have been practical, but I was ready and I would have defended myself. But here's my point. I remember what I was thinking. And I was just so in love with the Lord. I was thinking, oh man, today could be the day that I get to meet Jesus. I said, I could see Jesus before sunset today. And I was just, 
I was excited. I was thinking, oh God, this is awesome. And I was just rejoicing and praising God. And then as I had my gun pointed down there at the Vietnamese, I was thinking, but God, these people don't know the Lord. And I was interceding for them and I felt love and compassion flowing out of me. And I was just having a wonderful time. I was worshiping God and I was praying for the people that I was about to shoot. And I had love flowing out of me. And yet in this book, I read the unbeliever's testimony. He told about what it was like and the smells. And I just had like a flashback and I got put back into that situation without God. And I saw it through the eyes of an unbeliever. And terror gripped me. It took me two or three days to pray that fear and terror off of me 20 years after it was over. And it's just like God gave me a glimpse of this is what it would have been like if your mind hadn't have been stayed upon me. But because my mind was stayed upon the Lord, here I was just being bombarded. It looked like we were going to die any minute. And there was just love and joy and peace. And it was awesome. It was like I was in a bubble. And I know some of you think you can't live that way. Well, don't wake me up because that's the way I've been living my life for 43 years. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you can get to a place to where you know God in such a way that it's just like, what does it matter? People are obsessing about, you know, this debt ceiling thing. I don't understand all of that, but you know what? I, I told people, I said, I can guarantee you whether they default or don't, the world is going to, the sun will come up and rise again. It is not the end of the world. And it's just not that big of a deal. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have done something, but I am saying that you can get to a place to where, uh, David said it this way, though the mountains be removed and cast into the sea, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. You know what? There's nothing that's quite that bad. What if all of the mountains were cast into the sea? What if there was no earth anymore? David said, I'm still going to rejoice in the Lord. Seems like you not being able to pay your bills or somebody not talking to you or you losing your job is nothing compared to all of those things. But see, we put limits on it because we don't know God. I'm telling you, when you know God, you can reach a place to where nothing else matters. Nothing else is important. And this is what Moses was saying. He had seen the glory of God. He had heard an audible voice. He'd been caught up. After this instance, his face was actually shining and radiating light because he had been in the presence of the Lord. And yet here he is saying, oh God, help me to know you. And how do you know God? You know God by understanding his ways. The actions of God reveal who God is. And the sad thing is most of us have been told that God is a different person than he truly is. We've had God misrepresented. Satan has gotten into our churches. Religion is misrepresenting God big time. And people don't have this peace and the joy that comes from knowing God because they have had God's ways misrepresented unto them. And so what I'm doing during this uh, conference is just sharing some of the major things that God has shown me about his way, what he is like that provide a foundation for relationship with him. And last night I countered the teaching on the sovereignty of God. 
Again, I'm not against teaching that God is sovereign if you'll use it the way the dictionary defines it, but the religious definition of sovereignty where God controls everything and God is responsible for all rape and murder and problems in our life and he's doing this to teach you something is wrong, 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 wrong. And it's killing people and it is destroying people's relationship with God. If you think God is in charge of all of the evil that is going on, well, then you don't know God. You may know about him. You might be born again, but you do not have a working good relationship with God because God is not the source of all of these problems. Amen. Well, that is a powerful, powerful truth. What I want to talk about today, turn over to Proverbs chapter 16 and look at verse 25, I think it is. 1625 says, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There is a way, just if you are left to your own, you have a natural way of thinking, but the end, notice the terminology, the end is singular, are the ways of death, plural. There might be many different ways, but they all end in one thing, and that's death. If you lean under your own understanding, I think it's Proverbs chapter 3, lean not under your own understanding, but in all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. If you lean under your own understanding, some of you might go this direction, some another, but it all ends up in the one way, and that's death. If you are following your own intuition and just doing things on your own, you are going to wind up in death. And this is descriptive of our American culture. You know, again, I look at these Barna surveys and one of the things that he's been doing surveys for over 20 years, people, the Christian community has gotten away from the absolute belief in the word of God that it is infallible and that we're supposed to run our life by it. And it is a statistical fact that the average Christian today basically just picks and choose what they want and they make their own God. And they believe that he's this way and they don't go by what the scripture reveals, but they just pretty much decide that I think this is the way God is and I think this is the way we're gonna do it. And that is a statistical fact. People no longer are dominated and controlled by what the word says. Most people are more controlled by your television and the opinion polls and the talk shows and the things that go on. And that forms more of your personality and your moral character than the word of God does. Now, again, I may be preaching to the choir here. This is what, Friday morning? And here you are out listening to a preacher in a hotel. You're probably the hardcore fanatics. Amen. But the average Christian does not base his life on the word of God. They just pick and choose. And I'm saying that there is a way that seems right unto you, just your intuitive way. But the end thereof are the ways of death. And we've got to get to where we start basing our life 100% on what the word of God says and recognize that you have been given the right to pick your own way. God doesn't force you to believe things, but the right choice is to recognize you aren't smart enough to run your own life and you need to let God control you. That is a great piece of information. You know, my mother just died in in, um, 2009 she was 96 years old. And for a year, she, they said she couldn't live through the night and she just kept living. And, 
Anyway, every time I called her, she says, Andy, are you praying that I'll die? And I said, yes, mother, I'm praying that you'll die. It's kind of an unusual deal. She says, I'm through. I want out of here. She said, don't you dare pray for me to get well. She says, I want to get out of here. And anyway, right before she died, she was asking me about what God was doing. And I was telling her about all of the different things and how that just awesome things were happening all over the world. And she stuck her little bony finger right in my face. And she says, Andy, you know, this is God. And I said, yes, ma'am. I know that this is God. And she says, you aren't smart enough to do that. (laughs) And I said, that's right. Amen. I tell you what, that really uh, puts you in your place when your mother tells you that. But you know, this is a lesson that I learned and it is absolutely true. That if you run your own life, you're going to ruin it. Boy, that is counter to our culture today. People say, I'm a self-made man or woman. Nobody tells me anything. We've glorified individual choice to the point that you will just do things just uh, to spite people. If they tell you, you've got to do this, you're going to do the other. There's a lot of rebellious attitudes in even Christians and just independent. I'm going to do things my way, but I'm telling you that there is a way that seems right to you naturally, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You cannot accomplish God's will with your own intellect and your own thoughts. You need to let God supernaturally take over your life. You can't lean under your own understanding. I think back about Adam and Eve. You know, the serpent came to them and started telling them, has God really said? And they at first said, well, yes, he said this, but then they got into this dialogue with a talking snake and they wound up leaning under their own understanding. They were told that God wasn't a good God, that God was holding things, holding them back from things and didn't want them to prosper. And they decided that they would choose their own way. You know what that tree of the knowledge of good and evil was? It was basically that you're going to follow your own thoughts. You're going to do it your way instead of just humbling and submitting yourself to God. I couldn't tell you how many, I mean, there have been thousands of people that have come to me and said, God told me this, but, and then they say, but how could I do what God told me to do? Like for instance, when it comes to school, We have a lot of people come and say, man, God told me that I'm supposed to be in Karis Bible College. But what am I going to do with my house? What about my retirement? I'm only three or four years away from retiring. What about my kids? What about this? What about, uh, you know, I've got all of this money saved up. And if I quit early, I'll lose that. And they start saying this and this and this and this and this. And I just tell them, I said, you lost me the moment you said God told you to come. If God told you to come into discussion. If God told you to come, if you lose your old retirement, who cares? If God told you to come and you come out it out to Colorado and you don't get a job, who cares? Had one person say, but I'm homeless. I'm living on the streets. How can I do what God told me to do? And I said, we got streets in Colorado. Amen. Come out here and be homeless. We had one lady say, but I got two dogs. What do I do with my dogs? You know, we we allow dogs in Colorado. I told them, I said, just kill them. 
I'm a dog lover, but I'm saying that if it comes, you know what? If God tells me to do something, I'm going to do it. If it hair lips every devil in hell, (laughs) if the Lord tells me to do it, I'm just going to do it. I don't lean on my own understanding. And I am amazed at how many people don't understand this about the ways of the Lord. God is smarter than you are. And this is one of these decisions and one of the things about the Lord that you just need to establish that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And when God tells you something in the word, he doesn't always explain everything. It doesn't have to explain it. Here's, here's a great piece of theology. There is only one God and you are not him. (laughs) You shouldn't be living your life. Like you can just do what you want to do. Who cares what you want to do? Amen. I know many of you, you're, boy, you're just bristling at this. Like, man, this, I, with most people, you are the center of the universe. It is all about you. And if you're all wrapped up in yourself, you make a very small package. I'm telling you, brothers, and I'm saying this in love. This may not be your favorite message, (laughs) but I'm telling you in love that, you know, one of the reasons that you don't truly know God is because you think it's all about you and it's all about, well, I want to do this and what makes you happy and you lust for this and lust for that. And you use God just to satisfy your own desires. One of the ways of God is that you need to recognize God created us with a free will. And he gave you the ability to choose right or wrong. But the right decision is to always choose God. I used this verse last night, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. He says, behold, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. God gave you the choice. He says, choose A, life, or B, death. And then he gives you the answer. Choose A, man. Choose life. I'll give you the answer to this pop quiz. He gave you the freedom to choose, but he told you that this is the only choice that is ever going to satisfy you. And one of the things that you need to do is just understand that God is a good God. His plans for you are better than your plans for yourself. And you need to run up a white flag and surrender and just say, God, Forgive me for running my own life, doing my own thing. There are many of you in here who are good people and you love God. You're born again. But you know what? You basically have been living your own life. You do your own thing and you ask God to bless it. You want God to use your life. You would like to be a blessing to people, but that's not the focus. That's not the priority. You have done your own thing. You've been after success and after money and after prestige or whatever it is, and you've been pursuing those things and God is a sideline to you. And that's precisely the reason that you're stressed out. That's precisely the reason that so many things have gone wrong in your life is doing things your own way. You know, I don't really have the words to describe what I'm trying to get across this morning. But there is such a peace and there is such a Man, it it is so powerful to just be where God wants you to be, doing what he told you to do. And you don't have an agenda. You aren't trying to get God to bless you. 
You know, I was telling some of my staff that I am in such a strong place because honestly, I love God and I'm having a great time with the Lord. And we're in the process of building a $45 million campus to be able to house all of this. And you know what? I could be stressed out. I could be just, oh God, please help me to do this. But it's not that way. I'm happy. And if it never came to pass, I'm still happy. You know what? And I can go on serving the Lord exactly the way I am. I believe that this is what God is leading me to do, but he puts all of the pressure on him and I sleep good at night and I don't stay up worrying how am I going to come up with this money? I haven't yet prayed and said, oh God, please give me this money so I can do this. It's his deal. He's the one who told me to do it. And I'm just saying, God, help me to get out of the way so that I don't limit you or hinder you. And if this is what you want to do, well then praise God, I believe it's going to work. And it is just such a peaceful place to be to where you don't have an agenda and you're trying to get God to help you to do something. Instead of asking God to bless your plans, just give up and follow his plans, do whatever he tells you to do. And there is a supernatural anointing that goes with it. And there's a peace. Man, that was, that was important. I don't know if you got that or not. Do you know, I just saw a story about Walt Disney last week and about all of the dreams and how he did things and he broke the mold and he did things that nobody else thought that you could do. And you know, I related in a lot of ways because I've done things like we give away. I've given away, who knows, 10, 15 million tapes, CDs, books, DVDs, millions of stuff. And we encourage people to give, but we give it away whether people give or not. You know, I've broken some ground and now there's other ministers that are doing the same thing. And I have seen things happen that there was no pattern for. And so I could relate in some ways about some of the things that he dreamed. But the difference was uh, Walt Disney just struggled to make it happen. He mortgaged his own house. He borrowed, begged, stole from anybody that he could to get all of these things together to build Disney World and do all of these things. And it was a struggle and he went through a lot of hardship. And I was looking and relating in part to what he was doing. But then on the other hand, I thought, God, I didn't want a Bible school. Matter of fact, I had always said, I don't want a Bible school. And boy, just boom. I mean, in 1993, God spoke to me in the UK and told me I was to have a Bible school. And within a few weeks, I was ready to do it. And then he spoke to me about going on television. I didn't want to be on television. And he just spoke to me and boom, it just happened. And God has just spoken to me. I hadn't made anything happen. I haven't had to force stuff to come to pass. I've just been seeking the Lord and loving God and knowing God. And it just, just happens. And this is what I'm trying to relate to you is that God has a perfect plan for your life. God is almighty. He created you with a destiny. He's got a purpose for your life. And one of the things that you need to decide is that I am not smart enough to sit here and choose my own path and do my own thing. You are free to do that. God won't force you. But the smart decision is to run up the flag and say, God, I want your will. I need to know you have a plan for my life and you need to submit yourself and just understand that this is the ways of the Lord. God has a perfect plan for your life. 
You know, we could take the example of Moses. I've got a teaching entitled God's Man, Plan, and Timing. If you don't have that, I'd encourage you to get it. This is going to be a very quick synopsis. But Moses knew God's will for his life when he went out and killed the Egyptian. Again, if you get your theology from the movie, The Ten Commandments, you're going to disagree with what I said. But if you take the scriptures in Acts chapter 7, it reveals that when Moses killed this Egyptian and hid his body in the sand, he knew that God had called him to bring deliverance to the Jews. And he tried to do it in his own strength and his own power. It said he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood it not. So Moses didn't do this just as a nice guy. He knew God's will for his life, but he was going to accomplish God's will in his own strength and in his own understanding. Boy, that is a powerful statement. Just knowing what God wants you to do is only a portion of the process. You not only need to know God's plan for your life, but you need to know God's timing, God's will. How is it going to come to pass And we are the ones that get in the way of God. We take a word from God and make a paragraph out of it and just wind up destroying his whole plan for our life. Not many heads shaking on this one. I don't think many people have come to this conclusion, but I I really believe that this is what the problem is. And you know, I hadn't got time to teach you all of these things, but if you will just take down some of these verses and go study this on your own, In the 15th chapter of the book of Genesis, God appeared unto Abram and he told him that your children are going to remain in bondage for 400 years and then I will bring them out of that bondage. If you read Exodus chapter 14 and, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 40, it says, it came to pass that on the 430th year after that prophecy, the children of Israel came out of the land of Egypt exactly to the day, 430 years later. So there's a 30 year discrepancy. God told Abraham that your children are going to be there for 400 years. It turned out they were there for 430 years. Some people try and interpret this as, well, they weren't in bondage that whole time. They were only in bondage 400 years. They were only in bondage about 150 years but they were strangers and didn't have their own land. It was 400 years from that prophecy that God prophesied he would bring them out of the land of Egypt. And yet we know by scripture, it was 430 years. Where did the extra 30 years came from? Again, if you go to Acts chapter seven, you'll find out that Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness after killing the Egyptian. He fled from Pharaoh. If you subtract the 40 years in the wilderness from when, um, you know, the children of Israel came out, that means that Moses killed this Egyptian and tried to bring God's will for the Israelites to come out of Egypt 10 years before the prophecy of Genesis chapter 15 was complete. That means he had, he had knowledge that it was God's will to do something but he wasn't willing to let God accomplish it in his way. He tried to get out and do God's bidding in his own strength and power. And it cost him 40 years in the wilderness and cost the children of Israel 30 years extra bondage that God never intended. And you know, it's my personal opinion that this is why when towards the end of Moses' life, after he had brought the children of Israel out and nearly 40 years 
in the wilderness, he got mad at the children of Israel. The first time God told him to speak to a rock and water gushed out and fed all of the people and all of their animals. The second time Moses got mad and God told him, or excuse me, I said that wrong. He struck the rock the first time. The second time God told him just to speak to the rock, not to strike it, but just to speak to the rock. And Moses got so mad. He said, you rebels, must I fetch water out of the rock? And he took his rod and smote the rock and nothing happened. So he hit it a second time. And finally the water came out, but God said, because you didn't trust me and honor me, I'm not going to let you enter into the promised land. Moses was 120 years old. He had spent 80 years of his life trying to serve God. And yet because of one flesh flash, he was kept out of the promised land and he died. And I thought, God, this doesn't seem right. Because in the 32nd chapter of the book of Exodus, God got so mad at the Israelites that he said, Moses, get out of my way and leave me alone. I'm going to destroy the whole lot and start over with you. Moses got so mad at the Jews that he wanted, I mean, excuse me, God got so mad at the Jews that he wanted to kill them all. All Moses did was just hit the rock instead of speak to it. It didn't seem just to me until I saw that Moses' tendency was to trust in himself. That's why he killed that Egyptian. You know, many of you don't have this perspective, but I've studied the life of Moses even from a secular standpoint. And there are secular things written about Moses that he is one of the greatest generals that Egypt ever had. He went and defeated and conquered the Lubians and the Ethiopians and brought back the most spoil that ever happened in the history of Egypt. He was very renowned. And the scripture makes mention of this, that he was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deed. And so the scripture makes reference to it, but secular accounts just amplify it. Moses was a powerful man And Moses, again, contrary to the 10 commandments, knew that he was a Jew from the time he was a young kid. He knew, it says that it came into his heart to go visit his brethren, the children of Israel, Acts chapter seven. And so Moses didn't do these things by circumstance. It wasn't just faith that was moving him. Moses knew who he was and it would have been easy for him to theorize that man, no wonder I am second or third in command over the mightiest nation on the face of the earth. I was a Jew that was supposed to be killed at birth. And yet I was taken by Pharaoh's daughter, raised in Pharaoh's house. The Pharaoh who issued an order to kill all Hebrew males actually paid for his education and upbringing and, and paid all of his expenses. You know what? It would have been easy for him to think, no wonder God put me here. God is going to use my clout and my position in the Egyptian government to, to overcome them and to bring the Jews out. And so he just supposed that this was going to, how it was going to happen. You know, most people sitting in here would have done the exact same thing. There are many of you that just suppose that no wonder you know, this opportunity came up and, you know, it's kind of like, God, you just get me introduced and on the stage and I can handle it from here. (laughs) God, I know why you chose me. I can see the wisdom in this. What an excellent choice. (laughs) Boy, I'm really going to be able to serve you. That's what destroys people is this own self-reliance. And Moses just assumed, he supposed that his brethren would understand. And so he tried to accomplish God's will with physical, natural things instead of doing it spiritually. 
And because of it, it cost him 40 years in the wilderness. Again, that show the 10 commandments as Moses heads out through the desert. Then the narrator comes on and says, so Moses heads into the desert where prophets are made with the scorpions and with this. And it talks about all of this hardship. And basically it goes back to this theological concept. I was trying to destroy last night that God puts troubles in your life to make you better. And God put Moses in the wilderness for 40 years to make him this great man of God that he was. That's not it. He was in the palace. God's the one that put him there. He could have stayed in the palace. And if he would have just cooled his jets and had been dependent upon God, he could have spent the last 10 years in the palace in the lap of luxury. He didn't have to go through the desert. That came because of his own self-will because he chose to do things his way because he thought that his understanding was better than God's. It's not clear if he understood the prophecy of 400 years. I personally believe he did because the Jews were very strict on relating all of these things to their children. But if he knew the prophecy, he could have rationalized it this way by saying that, you know, in 10 years, if I wait 10 years, God, how many Israelites are going to die under this slavery and under this oppression? And how many people are going to be beaten and tortured You know, he could have said that, man, there's a thousand people a year dying. It may have been 10,000, who knows? But let's just say that there's a thousand people a year dying. If I wait 10 years, that's gonna be 10,000 people die under this slavery and under this oppression. And so God, I know the prophecy of Genesis 15, but I just, I have to do something. And so he leaned under his own understanding. What he didn't understand is that that action cost him 40 years in the wilderness and it cost the Jews 30 years of extra bondage. If you use that same figure of a thousand a year, instead of 10,000 dying under this slavery, there was now 30,000 extra Jews or whatever it was that died because of his self-will. We're always quick to count statistics. I've heard people before take things like, you know, don't put a novice in a position of authority. First Peter chapter, I mean, first Timothy chapter three, it's a qualification of an elder not to put a novice, a person newly come to the faith in a position of leadership. The Bible's very clear. And yet I've heard so many people say, but it's, you know, there's just such a situation here. It's so bad. And so they'll take somebody like a football star or a movie star, or some kind of a politician that gets born again. And they will just instantly put them on the stage as a spokesman for Christianity, completely contrary to everything God says. And they rationalize it, but they've already got this following. If we wait for 10 or 20 years until they mature in the Lord, by that time, they won't have this uh, recognition and we'll lose an opportunity. And so we just rationalize it. And go ahead and violate God. We lean unto our own understanding instead of following the will of God. And we use statistics like there's millions of people dying every day. We need to use this person to reach out to people. But what you can't count is how many of these people became spokesmen for the Lord that wound up falling And how many millions and millions and millions of people have been turned away from God because of people who professed to know God and then misrepresented him and went out and did all of this stuff. I tell you, we're better off to follow God's will. But see, Moses could have just rationalized and 
said, I've got to do something now. And so he went ahead and did it his way, cost him 40 years in the wilderness, cost the children of Israel 30 years extra bondage. And this is why I believe God was so hard on him when he struck the rock instead of speaking to it. Because Moses had come to a place to where he said, God, I'll do it your way. God, I'll do anything. And Moses obeyed God. But after years and years and years, Moses was getting back into his flesh instead of doing what God told him. He thought it would be more dramatic to strike the rock than to speak to it. So he struck the rock. God allowed the miracle to take place, but he said, Moses, you aren't going to enter into the promised land because you did it your way. And I believe that again, that wasn't in punishment. It was because God loved Moses and the Israelites. And if he hadn't stopped that self-will it could have cost the children of Israel another extra 40 years in the wilderness if he had just done things his own way. One of the reasons that God isn't using us is because we aren't usable. Instead of praying, God, use me, we ought to be praying, God, make me usable. Lord, help me to be a living sacrifice. We need to recognize that God And the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man is what scripture says. We need to recognize that God's wisdom is infinitely greater and you need to become absolutely dependent upon God. Are you still in Exodus chapter 33? Look at the next verse. After he says, God, show me your way that I may know you and find grace in your sight. Then he said in verse 14, and the Lord said, my presence shall go with thee. And I will give thee rest. You know, this is a whole nother teaching. I don't think I'm going to be able to touch that this week, but this didn't look like it was a direct answer to what he wanted, but that was a direct answer. And later on in the 34th chapter, Moses finally said, Lord, go with us. He had come to realize that the Lord going with you and the Lord being with you is revealing his ways to you. But anyway, when the Lord said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Look at Moses' answer. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us up not, uh, carry us not up from hence. In other words, Moses was saying, This isn't good enough. I was taking it for granted that you're always with us. If you aren't with us, then I'm not moving. Well, that reveals something about Moses at this time. He was a God-dependent man. He had totally lost confidence in himself. And in his ability, he had made a mistake that cost himself tremendous suffering and cost the entire Jewish nation tremendous suffering. And he was saying, God, I'll do anything. God, I'll follow you. I'll obey you. And when the Lord said, my presence will go with you, he says, well, I was taking that for granted. If you aren't going with me, I'm not moving. That is a man who is dependent upon God. And that's one of the reasons that Moses saw the great miracles that he did. And brothers and sisters, when it comes to knowing the ways of God, I'm telling you, this is just so foundational that you need to understand that God's smarter than you are. That you shouldn't be planning your own thing. You shouldn't do your own plans and ask God to bless it. You need to come to the end of yourself. You know, in my own personal life, this is the progression that the Lord took me through. I got born again when I was eight years old, but I didn't really know God intimately. I just knew about God. Salvation was presented to me as get born again so you won't go to hell. So I got that 
And I knew that I was born again. And if I would have died, I believed I'd have gone to be with the Lord. But I didn't know God. But then the Lord revealed himself to me through a scripture, Romans 12, 1 and 2, that he wanted me to be a living sacrifice. I was seeking to know God's will. And those two verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I meditated on that for four months saying, God, what does this mean? Help me to be a living sacrifice. And then God appeared to me on March the 23rd, 1968. And I tell you, I had an encounter with God that changed my life. And there was a lot that happened, but one of the things that, man, I just praise God for it is revolutionized my life was that he showed me I had become a religious hypocrite, a Pharisee, to where I was doing all of the right things. But I was doing it thinking that if I would live holy, God owed me something, that he had to answer my prayers. I've never said a word of profanity in my entire life. I've never taken a drink of liquor. I've never smoked a cigarette. When I was a kid, I used to have dreams that I'd smoked a cigarette and I got caught and turned into the police and they turned me over to my mother, which was worse than the police. And then I wound up in hell and I'd wake up in a cold sweat that I had smoked a cigarette and went to hell for smoking a cigarette. I've not done a lot of stuff. I've lived a super holy life, but the problem was I was trusting in my goodness and in my holiness, looking down my nose at other people that weren't as holy as I was. And when the Lord appeared to me, what he did was just show me from his standpoint that all of my righteousness was like a filthy rag. And I realized that, man, I was a religious hypocrite. I repented in sackcloth and ashes. I lost my arrogance and pride about myself and I humbled myself. And I mean, it transformed my life. I don't, again, have the words to express to you, but it still affects me today. When my mother says, you aren't smart enough to do this. I knew exactly what she's talking about. And it is healthy to recognize that you by yourself on your own are a mess. And our society doesn't embrace that. No, you got to feel good about yourself at all costs. And so rather than admit that you've made a mistake, condemn everybody else. It's everybody else's fault. It's my dysfunctional family. It's this person did this to me. And hardly anybody accepts personal responsibility for things today because you just can't handle it that you might be wrong. Rather than admit that you've overeaten, it's your genes that make you fat. That's not true. The only way you get fat is to overeat more often than you should. Thank you for that one head nod. (laughs) It's true. The only thing that makes you a jerk are your decisions, not what people have done to you. Amen. (laughs) Some people just can't handle that. But I tell you, it's healthy for you to recognize that you on your own are what caused Jesus to bleed and die and have to come and die for this world because of our sinful nature. Man at his best is nothing. We glorify these people and movie stars who if you were to take the morality of the average movie star and put it in a thimble, it'd be nearly empty. Super ungodly people, movie stars, athletes, and other people that we glorify and put on our 
magazines and we look up to them and we just ooh and ah at these people. And I guarantee you, God says, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. There are people despising God and they're the movers and shakers and the ones who get all of the attention and the glory. But you know, I believe the people that God considers are people like what we were talking about, these Bible college directors, people that have given their life people that are going overseas and giving up their life, this Leland Shores that went over and literally put his life on the line and died bringing the gospel to Uganda. I guarantee you, those people are the ones that God honors. He doesn't honor the people that we honor. Our value systems are so skewed today. We put so much importance on ourself and it's all about ourself and it needs to change. I'm telling you that the Lord resist the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you will humble yourself, God gives grace unto you, but you exalt yourself. And that doesn't have to mean that you're arrogant. It just means that you're self-sufficient, self-dependent, self-assured. You can do anything. God will resist that. God is not into blessing your thing. God wants you to run up the white flag and surrender and then follow what he tells you to do. And if you do what God tells you to do, you don't ever have to ask him to bless it. You know, I spend zero time asking God to bless my meetings. I don't intercede and pray, oh God, please show up and do something. I'm doing what God told me to do. And God would be unjust to lead me to do what I'm doing and then not be there to anoint it. I can't do it on my own. I don't spend time asking God to do to bless my stuff. Amen. I'm saying some really good things. Some things that could really help you if you'd receive it. So anyway, he appeared to me and I mean, I just repented in sackcloth and ashes. I turned myself inside out. I began to confess how sinful I was, not in the outward acts that most people consider sin, but my arrogance and my criticism of others. The scripture says that if you lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. If you get angry in your heart without a cause, you're guilty of murder. I begin to confess hatred and anger and lust and feelings and thoughts that I'd never acted on, but they were all there. I turned myself inside out in front of the leaders of the church, in front of my best friends. And I tell you what, I just ruined any reputation that I ever had. And I spent like an hour and a half or two hours confessing and repenting of all this stuff, thinking that God was going to kill me. Some of you may think that's an exaggeration, but I honestly thought that when God showed me how ungodly I was and how much of a hypocrite I was, that that was the first time he had seen it. And the theology that I had, I thought he was going to kill me. And right before he killed me, I was going to confess everything I could think of. And I mentioned it. I mentioned everything. And after an hour and a half or two hours, there was just nothing left to say. I'd absolutely repented of everything I could or ever would do. And at the end, I was just waiting. I didn't know what God was going to do. And you know what? When I finally got rid of myself and died to myself, God just came flooding into my life. I was caught up in the presence of the Lord for four and a half months just overwhelmed with how much God loved me. 
And I tell you, until you make a decision like that and understand that this is the way of the Lord, that God is not going to sit there and be, you know, just like your servant, that every time you need something, you just ask and God is going to jump to, and he just serves you and does whatever you want done. The Lord loves every one of us, whether you've made these decisions or not. And he does love you and he wants to meet the needs in your life. But I guarantee you, God is not going to help you go out and just make a mess of your life. Do things your own way. There is an anointing on doing what God calls you to do. You know, right now I'm in a position where I'm where God wants me to be. And because of it, things are just working supernaturally. I had a call today of a man who is uh, saying some things and he says, it is just absolutely amazing what God is doing in your life. And it's because I've been following God and seeking God. And there is just a blessing and an anointing because I'm where God wants me to be. And there are many of you that don't know that because you're doing your own thing and trying to get God to bless it. And I'm telling you, that is not the way of God. You need to come to a place. Would to God that every one of us could come to a place to where we just saw that we are a zero with the rim knocked off. And that you could just come to the end of yourself and say, God, I'm not moving if you don't go with me. If your presence go not with me, I'm not moving. Man, that is a powerful place to be. I'm not making another decision. I'm not doing anything. Until you tell me what to do. And then once God tells you to do what to do, you just do it. And if it hair lips the devil, you just do it. Amen. You let the chips fall where they may. Who cares? God tells me to do it. I'll do it. You could die. No problem. You know, right after I made that decision, the very first thing that the Lord spoke to me was about quitting school, which this was during the Vietnam War. And if I quit school, I lost $350 a month in money from the government. I lost my student deferment. I lost the approval of every person I knew except three people. Every person thought I was of the devil. But you know what? God told me to quit school and it could have cost my life. I got sent to Vietnam. I could have died. But you know, it didn't matter. I knew what God led me to do and it didn't matter. It didn't matter if I died in Vietnam. That wasn't important. And I pray that you're getting what I'm talking about. You've got to come, you just got to understand that God has a plan for your life. He's smarter than you. And you need to get to where there is zero discussion about it. If God says to do something, just do it. End of discussion. But this is going to cost me. It's going to be inconvenient. Who cares? God's will will always turn out being better than your will. You know, I was in Charlotte not too many years ago and there's a guy that always asked me to come to his place and speak. And I speak to his employees. He says the clock is running and so I just talk to him. And I came out after I'd talked to him and there was a Oriental lady sitting at the counter and she wasn't in that group. And I said, uh, you weren't back there with the others. And she says, no, I'm the new kid on the block. They just hired me and so they wanted me to stay on the phones and answer the phones while everybody else was out there listening. And she said, who are you? And I said, well, I'm a minister. And she says, for who? And I said, well, the Lord Jesus Christ. And she looked at me and she says, you're the one. And I said, I'm the one what? And she says, I'm a Buddhist. 
And last night she was going through her rituals, whatever they were. And she says, I just knew in my heart, I believe that there's a God, but I didn't believe that Buddha was him. And she says, I just stopped right in the middle of her ritual. And she says, God, I believe you exist, but who are you? Would you reveal yourself to me and show me who you are? And she prayed and asked God to just somehow or another make himself known unto her. And she said, all of a sudden, this ball of light just came in front of her and it was pulsating like this. And she heard a voice saying, tomorrow I'll send you a man who will tell you who I am. And she says, you're the one. And I said, I'm the one. Amen. And I got to lead this lady to the Lord and into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And she was blessed. But you know what? When I got back out to the car, I was so blessed thinking, man, I was in the right place at the right time. What a blessing to know that you are exactly where God wants you to be, that you aren't doing your own thing and asking God to bless it, but you're doing what God wants you to do. And brothers and sisters, there are people in this room that you have never felt that. You don't know beyond any shadow of a doubt that God is absolutely dominating and controlling. You have by default just leaned under your own way. You've done your own thing. And you know what? You may be doing what God wants you to do, but still you won't have the joy and the peace until you come to the end of yourself and know that what, where you are in the direction that your life is going is what God has for you. So I'm telling you, this is one of the ways of the Lord. It has literally transformed my life just to recognize that I am not smart enough to run my own life. And so I'm just seeking the Lord. And God, I I can't, I don't have business knowledge. I don't know how to do a lot of things, but you know what? I've just sought the Lord and God gave me a man that he trained for 37 years and is running our ministry. The television thing. I don't have a clue what to do with television. I I interviewed five or six people about doing television and they all just within two or three minutes, I can do this, this, and this. And they had my whole television ministry planned out. But you know what? I just didn't feel peace about any of them. And so I waited until I mean the last hour we had to have somebody. And all of a sudden this man, Stephen Bransford, who only lived two, uh, miles away from our office. He had never heard of me, but somebody in Charlotte called him and told him I was looking for a television director. And he came over. He's the one that started PTL, James Robinson, Bob Tilton in television. And he had all of this experience and he came over and he was opposite everybody else. And instead of telling me what he would do and all of this stuff, he says, I don't know who you are. He says, give me some of your tapes and books. And he took them for a week. And then he came back And I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, you're as plain as dirt. And he said, if you have all of these graphics and things flying in and out and doing all of this fancy stuff, that's not you. He says, here's what you need to do. And you just need to have one camera. Like you're just sitting there talking to a person across the table instead of all this fancy stuff. And you know what? I just knew in my heart that was it. And God just supernaturally gave me Stephen Bransford. And that man has been a godsend. Our, our administrative staff, has been, you can just go through our ministry. David was telling me that the last conference we had, that there was two couples just sitting back there on Saturday night after our, everything was gone. And there was just two couples sitting back there. 
And they were watching all of my staff work and take down everything. And David went back and says, uh, can I help you? And they said, we're just admiring what's going on. The efficiency, the way that all of these people work and everybody's doing things. I tell you, it is supernatural what God has done. And I'm not smart enough to do any of it. The only thing I've done is I was smart enough to say, God, I can't run my life and I'm dependent upon God and I seek God. And God has added to me everything that I need. We are impacting the world. People's lives are being changed. And it's not because I'm the sharpest knife in the drawer. It's because, man, I have just made a decision that God, if you don't take, if your presence doesn't go with me, I'm not moving. I'm not going to do this unless you're with me. And I tell you, it is, it has served me well. I would recommend it. I recommend this as one of the ways of the Lord is that God gave you freedom to run your life, but the best choice is to choose him. The best choice is to say, Father, I'm giving back to you the right to run my life. I want you to absolutely control it. And you need to get rid of all of your carnal, selfish stuff. And the way you do that is seek the Lord. The word of God will purify the motives of your heart. And you spend time seeking the Lord and God will take away things. If you delight yourself in the Lord, God will put his desires in your heart. Psalms 37, four. And that's the way that you get it. That's the way that God does this. You just put God first in your life. And I tell you, if you would do that, it would transform your life. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let me ask you, how many of you in here just say, you know what? I, I'm not even close to that. I haven't ever made this decision. I've been doing my own thing so long. I need to repent and I just need to make a commitment. Romans chapter 10 or Romans chapter 12, verse one says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice it says you're a living sacrifice. That doesn't mean it's just a one-time thing. It has to be a continual thing. There may be some of you who have made a commitment that God, I want you to absolutely control. I turn from my own thinking. But you don't ever get to where you arrive. You just leave. You head in that direction. But there's some of you that have never started the process. There's some of you that the things I've talked about today are radical truths for you. And you know what? You need to repent and turn from doing your own thing, leaning under your own ways. And you need to put God's ways first. You need to want to know his way. What is God's will for your life? And you need to make that commitment. You know, if you could say that I have never begun this process. Now, everybody in here probably could repent and say, you know what? I need to seek this more. But there's somebody in here that have already started the process. I'm talking specifically to those who would say that, you know what? I've never really done this. I have never really just completely turned things over. And God, I want your will for my life. If that's you, and if you'd be willing to say that and just admit it, I'd like to ask you to stand and I'm going to lead you in a prayer of commitment. And I believe that God is going to move in your life in a supernatural way. If that's you, I want you to be bold enough right now to just stand right where you are. 
and we're going to pray for you. And I believe that this is going to begin a process. Some of you may think, well, I know I need to do it, but I'm not sure I'm ready to do it. Well, it'd still be okay for you to stand and say, maybe I'm not fully committed, but man, I'm willing to begin the process. God, start moving in my life. I want you to change me. Anybody else? Like I said last night, I'm going to pray this won't work if you're seated. (laughs) You're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to stand. You know, if there's this many people standing... And I can guarantee you there's a lot of people sitting who maybe have made this commitment, but have strayed from it and they've gotten to doing things their own way. If you take all of that, no wonder there's so many problems in our life. There is a supernatural anointing and blessing on your life when you're doing things God's way. When you're following God, uh, there's just a, a power in your life that you can't have any other way. So really, we don't have to look any further than this to find out what the problem is. I tell you what, you make this decision. It's, it may not change by tomorrow morning, but you are just starting your life in a brand new direction. And I guarantee you, this is going to make a huge, huge difference in your life. Father, I thank you for all of these people. Father, thank you for them humbling themselves and making this commitment openly in front of their brothers and sisters. And Father, we just ask your forgiveness for choosing our own way, doing our own thing. We want to know your ways. We want your will for our life. Father, we don't want to move without your blessing and anointing upon us. And Father, I believe that as these people are standing and making this confession that they haven't done that, we are laying ourselves on the altar And we are asking for the fire of God to fall upon these sacrifices and just consume our own selfish ways, our own desires. And Father, we want your will, your desires put in our heart. And I believe that a miracle is taking place right now in the name of Jesus, that your power and anointing is falling upon all of these people and just consuming This carnal stuff that distracts us and hinders us. And that, Father, we are experiencing your will coming to pass in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, say unto me that there are some of you that have bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart. You need to let that go right now. That is not the ways of God. Lord's already answering your prayer. You need to let this unforgiveness go, this hurt and pain. You just need to let it go. You may think I've tried to let it go before, but now there's an anointing of God here. There's a presence of the Holy Spirit. And if you'll just let it go, begin to start blessing the very people that you've cursed in the past, the very people that you've been angry at, just bless them. Begin to start letting them go. Let the bitterness go. There is an anointing of God to enable you to do that. And I believe he's taken that anger and that hurt and that bitterness out of your heart right now. Father, we thank you and we receive a miracle. You just moving through here and touching people's lives and setting us free of so many things. Fear is leaving people right now. There's some of you that are stressed out trying to make everything work, to juggle everything. And it's like, how can I keep all of this going? Right now, just cast it over on the Lord. Let it go. Just trust God. And God has taken away all of the anger and the bitterness and the frustration and the stress and the worry and care. It's just gone. 
I believe that there is a supernatural peace of God coming upon you right now. Father, we agree and we receive it and thank you for doing this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Y'all agree? Praise the Lord. Awesome. You can be seated. Man, that's awesome. Hallelujah. You know, I feel a little inadequate to try and express those things, but hopefully the Holy Spirit took those things and you got the point that I was trying to make today. This will change your life. It'll really change you. If there's anybody here today who doesn't know Jesus personally, that's the very first thing you need to do is to not lean under your own understanding. You can't save yourself. It's not based on your goodness. You need a savior and Jesus has already forgiven your sins. You just need to accept it and receive it. If you've never received salvation, you need to receive that today and let God just cleanse you and set you free from all of your sin. And then after you get born again, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues. It's not all that there is to it, but it's an important part. And if you don't speak in tongues, then you need to continue to release and submit to the Holy Spirit until you receive this gift because it is for every single person. I know that not everybody agrees with that, uh, but I tell you, that's my experience. That's what I believe the Word of God teaches. My life transformed when I started speaking in tongues. If you don't have that, you need this gift of speaking in tongues. Is there anybody here today who would say, I need one or both of those? I need this gift of speaking in tongues, or I need to be born again. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Praise God. We had, I don't know, but over a hundred people or so last night come forward and receive, but praise God, there's more here today. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand, but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward? And we want to pray with you and help you to receive right here. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Praise the Lord. Isn't this great? It's going to change your life. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right, before you can receive the Holy Spirit in this gift of speaking in tongues, you have to receive Jesus as your personal Savior. If there's any person up here who is not absolutely certain that you have made Jesus your personal Savior, we need to pray with you first and make sure that you have Jesus in your heart. The scripture says that Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. So you've got to receive the giver before you receive the gift. Is there anybody up here who's not certain about whether or not you've received Jesus and we need to pray with you first and you need to make sure that you've been born again. Anybody, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Here's a couple right here. Praise the Lord. Isn't this great? Anybody else? Anyone else? Here's a couple of more. You know, are you sure? There's a lot of people that just assume, well, I'm a good person and I I do my best. Isn't that enough? No, it's not. The Bible says that even the devils believe and tremble at the name of God. 
just knowing that God exists and trying to be a good person isn't enough. You need a savior. And that comes by just humbling yourself and saying, I receive Jesus as my personal savior. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, that if you will confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. You have to openly confess with your mouth, Jesus as your Lord. That's more than just mouthing the words. You have to turn your life over to the Lord. And if you will do that, you won't do it perfectly, but you have to be willing to commit to making Jesus your Lord. If you'll do that, then you'll be born again. Isn't that good? Is there anybody else who didn't raise your hand? Are you absolutely sure? I'm not trying to talk you out of it. You just got to be sure. Amen. Well, I'm going to pray with it. I think there was four or five people and I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I'm going to say the words that you need to say. And if you will believe this and mean it from your heart, then according to the word of God, you'll be born again. Isn't that a good deal? Man, that's awesome, isn't it? Jesus has already died to forgive your sins. He's just waiting on you to humble yourself and receive. So let's everybody say this so that they won't feel like we're just listening to them. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am forgiven. I am saved. Right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. You believe that? Welcome to the family. God bless you. Awesome. Awesome. God bless you. I believe that you all are totally changed on the inside. And if there was anybody else, if I missed anyone, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, then according to the word of God, you are a changed person. You might still be a male or female in your body, but you know, in the spirit, the Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God created every one of you to fill with the Holy Spirit. So the significance of that is now everybody up here has prayed this. So you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is not going to fail to give you the Holy Spirit. That's what you were made for. He wants this more than you want it. Some people teach that you have to get all sin out of your life before you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. But if you could get holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. God gives you the Holy Spirit to give you power. And if you've got problems or sin in your life, that's not going to stop God. Don't you let anything keep you from thinking that God is going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you are asking, it says in Luke eleven thirteen, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we're going to ask and God is going to give every one of you this filling of the Holy Spirit. It's going to change your life. And then I'd like to ask our prayer ministers to come up here and these people are going to stand behind you and they're going to lay hands on you because the Bible says that when the apostles laid hands on people, the Holy Spirit came upon them. So we can release this power of God. So you're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you and release this power of God into your life. And then I want you to quit asking and start thanking God. Take a step of faith and just thank him out loud that he gave you the Holy Spirit. 
And after they lay hands on you and you start thanking God, I want you to put your hands up like this. Because the Bible says when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. This blesses God. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. It's just a way of yielding to the Lord. And so we're going to we're going to pray. They're going to lay hands on you. You're going to lift your hands, start thanking God. And then those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to start praying in tongues. Because the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 14, 17, that when you're praying in tongues, you're giving thanks to God. You're praising God in the heavenly language. So we're going to start praising God for you receiving the Holy Spirit. And as we start speaking in tongues, I want you to switch over from speaking in English and just start speaking in tongues with us. And I know some of you are thinking, well, how do you do that? What do you do? I've got a book that will explain it. I hadn't got time to just tell you everything about it. But if you are ready, you could start speaking in tongues right now. The number one thing that holds people up is they think that the Holy Spirit's going to take them and make them speak. It's not like that. The Bible says, Acts 2, 4, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave the inspiration. It's like when I spoke today, I believe that God spoke through me, but he didn't force me to say it. I thought of it. It came out in my words, but I believe it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Likewise, you have to start speaking and just by faith believe that God inspires it. And once you get over the newness of it and you quit feeling awkward and strange for saying things that you don't know what it means, you'll find out it just, uh, it flows out of you and it'll edify you and build you up and it'll be the power of the Holy Spirit. And this book will explain it in more detail, but that's what we're going to do. And I believe that you're going to speak in tongues right now. Is that a good deal? That's a question. Was that a good deal? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you, Father, for those that receive salvation, that are born again. Thank you that all of us are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that you created us to fill with your power, the Holy Spirit. And so we just open up the doors of our temple right now. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come into our lives. We desire your power. We give you permission. We want your power. And so we open up our heart and say, Holy Spirit, come and fill us in the mighty name of Jesus. Now we lay hands on you and we release this power of the Holy Spirit to flow into your life right now. In Jesus' name, receive the Holy Spirit. We loose this power and anointing. Thank you, Father, that this power and anointing is flowing into every one of their hearts right now. We receive it and thank you for it. Now let's put your hands up and start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. Regardless of what you feel like, just believe God. Thank you, Father, for filling me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that I am God-possessed, that your power and anointing is flowing in my body right now. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Praise the Lord. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's just worship the Lord and speak in tongues. And as we speak in tongues, you quit speaking in English and switch over to speaking in tongues. You can't speak in tongues in English at the same time. You're going to have to quit speaking English. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You got to open your mouth. Brother, you're shaking your head no again. You got to shake it. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, in the name of Jesus. Father, we receive it. 
If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying, but your tongue will be unique to you. It'll be different. You won't be able to say what they're saying, but it'll get you started. And once you start, don't quit. Just keep talking. Right now, what's happening is it's your spirit praying. You're bypassing your brain and you're coming right out of your spirit. Be bold. Just speak out right now. Be bold. Talk loud enough that you can hear yourself. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Hallelujah. You know, you don't understand what you're saying, but the Bible says in the Spirit, you're speaking mysteries. Man, the Holy Spirit is releasing things that will wind up changing your attitudes, changing your life. It's powerful. Thank you, Father. Father, we agree. We receive this. Thank you for touching all of these people. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Most of these people who look like are speaking in tongues. You know, you may not know what's going on, but I can promise you this is powerful. You know, can I have your attention here for just a minute? You may not understand what's happening, but the Bible says this is one of the most important things you can do. Outside of your personal born again experience, this is the second most important thing that you will ever have happen. But you've got to understand it to get the full benefit. I can promise you that more has taken place in your life right now than what you realize. There's not a person in here that you may have felt something, but regardless of what you felt, this is more important than what you understand. And so I've written a book about this that will explain everything I know about it and it'll help you. And I tell you, if the baptism of the Holy Spirit impacts your life as much as it has mine, this is going to be a powerful, powerful experience. And if there's anybody here who didn't speak in tongues, I don't believe that that means you didn't get it. It just means you need to continue until you get the freedom to start speaking in tongues. But I believe that God gave every one of you this gift of the Holy Spirit. And so I've written a book about this. This book will help you. And if you would, I'd like you to follow Robert. He's the man right here in the aisle with the Bible up in his hand. And he's going to take you to our prayer room and he's going to give you a free book. There will be people there to answer questions and we just want to help you any way we can. Amen. So if you would just follow Robert and we want to be a blessing to you. Praise the Lord. You've already got it. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Man, that's awesome. You know, we've already had as many people baptized in the Holy Spirit as on the day of Pentecost in the upper room. If we just drew on the Holy Spirit completely and received everything that has taken place here, I guarantee you this would transform Chicago. Praise the Lord. Isn't this awesome? I believe this is going to make a difference in these people's lives. They'll never be the same again. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Again, I mentioned this last night, but if you're new this morning, these are our prayer ministers. These are people that are either Bible college students, graduates, or some are uh, partners with us, and they've been through a special training with Ashley and Carly. 
and uh, they are here to pray with you and minister to you. And if there's anybody here who needs prayer or ministry, uh, we invite you to come forward right now and let someone lay hands on you and agree. You know, if you've received this ministry today and if you've just made a decision that God, I'm getting out of the way and I want your will, you could see different results than you've had in the past because I tell you, that really releases the power of God. And so that heart change could make all of the difference in the world in the results that you get. So if you need prayer for anything, I wanna invite you to come forward right now and let one of our prayer ministers pray for you and um, then we'll let you go. Anybody? Everybody here got everything you need? Praise the Lord. That would be unusual if we didn't have everybody down here getting prayer. Praise the Lord. The rest of you remember that we have last night and this morning's message already duplicated on DVD and CDs out there. You can pick those up along with everything else. Don't forget ambassadors to the nations. And uh, if God spoke to you about that, go out there and see them. I'm going to have to skip out. I've got a television interview this afternoon, but uh, I'll be back tonight at seven and then tomorrow morning at 10 and then tomorrow night at 6 p.m. So praise God. Thanks for coming. God bless you. If you need prayer, just come forward. Let one of our prayer ministers pray with you. You're dismissed.